Welcome to Garden Success with Skip Richter, the show designed to help you have a bountiful garden and a beautiful landscape. Call in now with your lawn and garden questions at 979-845-5689 or email your questions to gardensuccess at tamu.edu. And now, Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist Skip Richter. Well, hello and welcome to Garden Success. Now, today happens to be a recorded show, pre-recorded. So while we are normally a call-in show, we love to have your questions and visit with you about gardening. Uh, today, just sit back and, and enjoy. I'm going to be going through a lot of things that are, uh, I don't want to say to-dos, that makes it sound like work, but a lot of things to keep in mind for this season. Some of the things you can be doing. Uh, and some of the ideas uh, for improving your garden, improving your landscape, maybe holiday gifts and things like that. We're just going to kind of cover it all today. Uh, I, uh, I guess I'll start indoors. Uh, you know, houseplants. This, this season, when, once we hit the cool weather, it's, it's uh, kind of keeping people indoors more than normal. Although our winters are so mild around here, you, you can just about work uh, 365 days of the year. Oh, except for the summer. You can't work in the summertime. It's too blazing hot. Uh, but seriously, the houseplants are a great thing to take care of during the season, uh, the cool season. Perhaps purchasing some others. A lot of our uh, landscape companies and garden centers, places like that, they, they have a variety of, of houseplants to offer. And there are so many excellent ones, too. You know, the houseplants uh, are really easy if you don't kill them with kindness or neglect some basic needs that they have. Uh, probably more houseplants are killed by overwatering than by underwatering, uh, but both can be deadly for plants. Uh, if you let certain plants get too dry, like let's say a pothos ivy, everybody has pothos it seems like, that's probably one of the more common ones. Uh, when it gets real dry and then you water it, suddenly after that it recuperates, but you notice the older leaves turning yellow and falling off. Uh, and that's just part of the cycle of the plant going through that stress. Uh, it's not the end of the world, but hey, you'd like to keep as much foliage as you can to keep them, keep them beautiful. Uh, so you want to make sure and water adequately. Now, there are different ways that you can do that. Uh, once you've had a plant for a while and you're kind of used to picking it up, especially if it's in a, a plastic type of pot, you can just tell the minute you pick a plant up. Uh, it's super light. You know it needs watering because water is one of the main um, contributors to the weight of the plant primarily. In fact, it's a primary contributor. Uh, so when you water a plant, and I put mine in the in the in the kitchen sink and just put some water on them. I try to use not tap water just because of all the sodium, but a little tap water here and there isn't the end of the world. Uh, but I'll use like a distilled water or maybe a RO water if you've got a little unit like that. Uh, purchased water is another option. Anyway, you water it well uh, and let it drain completely out the, the drainage holes in the bottom. And when it's thoroughly drained, I don't know, sit there five minutes is plenty. Uh, then pick it up and you'll know what the weight of that plant is when it's fully watered. Uh, after you do that a little bit, you just kind of, I can just walk by plants and pick them up with one hand kind of if they're in plastic pots. And I know, yep, this one needs some water just by the weight. So that's a simple way. Uh, another way is to dig down with your finger a couple of inches into the soil of the pot and just feel the soil. And you can feel the difference between dry and moist and certainly soggy, wet soil. Uh, and you want it to be moist. If it's moist a couple of inches down, it's good. You're, you don't need to water it. Uh, if, on, if on the other hand it's a little bit dry to the touch, then go ahead and give it some water. Third way that you can tell when uh, your house plants are 
have adequate soil moisture is to use a pencil. If you sharpen a pencil, you don't want one that, that the wood at the end near the lead is, is kind of greasy from oil from your hands, you know, that, that slick. You want to sharpen it so it's a fresh, fresh cut in the wood, pencil wood. And then you stick it down in the soil. And again, you can do that two or three or four inches down. You can check, check it at different depths. But when you push it in and pull it back out, if the soil is soggy, you'll, you'll literally see wetness on the wood as if you stuck the pencil in, in water itself, you know, it soaks in a little bit. Uh, if it's adequately moist, what you see is little clumps of soil sticking to the fresh cut wood surface of the pencil, uh, and uh, that tells you it's moist. If it comes out dry and no soil clinging to it, it's probably too dry. Uh, and it's kind of like uh, some of you have made maybe a pound cake and you used a toothpick to stick into the cake to check as to whether it's done or not. You know, you want it to, the toothpick to come out cleaned uh, to know that it's done. Well, it's the same kind of principle. And you can check your water that way. Now, there are water meters that you can use. I find those to be not very accurate. Sometimes they can help, but you almost kind of have to, it, depending on the, the uh, soil mix, if you have a real chunky potting mix in your houseplants versus maybe one that's very fine textured potting soil, almost a mucky uh, consistency, you're going to get different readings uh, with that meter. And I don't know, I'll, I've played with them a little bit, but I, I just find that it's just simpler and easier for, to do the things I just mentioned on checking on your houseplants. Uh, so that, that's a way to keep the moisture right. The second thing with our houseplants is lighting. Now we have a variety of different plant options and some can take uh, fairly low light levels, uh, whereas others need very bright light levels. You know, if you're going to grow uh, herbs inside, maybe a kitchen window, you need a lot of bright light for them not to become spindly. Uh, anything that has blooms on it indoors is going to need quite a bit of light uh, in order to uh, maintain and achieve that. And then some plants are just plain high light plants. They don't do well as, as you get lower and lower temperatures, excuse me, light levels. You can go online and, and do a search for plants and, and light levels of various house plants. And if you kind of watch the sources you're finding, uh, you can get pretty good information that way. I'll just give you, for most people, it's, it's hard finding a, a bright enough spot in the house. Ideally, you would like a window that has indirect light rather than sun baking through the window because uh, that, can, that can actually cause problems for some houseplants that have adapted to a low light environment. Uh, and that, that word adapted is significant because our plants do adapt. Um, take ficus, for example, whether it's the ficus uh, uh, benjamina, that's the typical little ficus tree you see in um, atriums and some people's houses, uh, or a fiddly fig, for example, that's another type of ficus, or a rubber plant, that's another type of ficus. They respond differently to light. For example, the, the ficus benjamina, the, the typical old-time ficus everybody's had around for a long time, those, uh, if you have them in a bright light and you suddenly bring them indoors, they will drop their foliage. If you have them in very low light and you suddenly put them outdoors, you'll get burn on the foliage, especially if the sun directly shines on it. So what we want to do, and it's, it's, you probably have already done this at this point in the season, but uh, if yours has been spending the summer outdoors, you want to gradually move it into lower and lower light intensities. The darkest shade outdoors is much brighter than some of 
most of the bright areas even in the house. And so uh, you want to gradually lower those light levels over time and just avoid that sudden leaf drop. Now the leaf drop isn't the end of the world. It'll it'll put put out new leaves, but that's a shock to the plant system and it's using a lot of stored energy to then regrow a whole new set of foliage. So making those changes gradually is important. Most people don't have enough light. And so if you lack light, uh, I'm going to recommend two house plants that I think that will you will have success with. In fact, if you're someone who kills everything you, you bring home from the garden center for indoors, then these two plants are for you. Uh, one of them is sense of area. People call that mother-in-law's tongue. Uh, that is the long, uh, another term I think is snake plant. The, it's the long, strappy, upright leaves. They're kind of a model green pattern. Uh, many types have yellow edges to the, t to the sword-like leaves. That plant can take drought, it can take high light, it can take low light. It's just really flexible. Uh, and so, of course, in the better the lighting, the, the more it grows and the better it does. But it can take pretty low light conditions and do pretty well. Uh, the another one like that is the ZZ plant. That's right, ZZ. That's short for two very long words. Uh, but ZZ plants uh, are very unusual looking plants. Uh, but they again can take droughty conditions uh, for a brief time. Uh, they can they can uh, do well with a lot of moisture as long as it's not totally soggy wet. That's going to cause root rot on almost anything. Uh, and they take high light and low light both. They do well with both of those. So those two would be kind of, uh, I, I call them the foolproof plants. Uh, uh, I like to say if you can't grow Sensevaria and ZZ plant, I can't help you because that, that they are one step above silk plants when it comes to easy care. Uh, they, they are very, very simple to care for. Uh, one of my favorite plants is Chinese evergreen. That's Aglionema. Aglionema are also called Chinese evergreen. Uh, typically through the years was kind of a green and silver pattern uh, patterned leaf. Uh, lately, late last you know years or so that it's been uh, a lot of new there have been a lot of new varieties coming on the market that have uh, pink and coral uh, reddish uh, colors in the leaves and they're really attractive. And it, it's just a personal preference of mine, but there's plenty of green plants and green plants are great. But breaking up that green everywhere throughout the house, it's kind of nice to have something with silvery colors or maybe some yellow stripes like the some of the Sensevarias or uh, maybe these Aglionemas that just, they're just really beautiful plants. They will take pretty low light. They're not the lowest light plants, uh, but they, they will take quite quite a reduction in foot candles or in, in light intensity rather and uh, they do pretty well and they're pretty easy to care for uh, you know I I have uh, I have a lot of different plants and there's times when they get neglected just because I'm traveling and gone and busy and uh, and that's just kind of it is what it is but they seem to survive again you know if they go through the dr too much drought and you water them you're going to lose some older leaves, but the stems just keep growing and producing more leaves. And, and that's a great plant. I, in fact, I think that's one of the prettiest plants uh, that we can put in the house. Of course, there's a million other houseplants. I'm not going to do the whole show on houseplants today. But I just wanted you to be aware of those. Uh, they uh, make wonderful gifts, too. And I'm going to talk about gifts a little bit later. But a beautiful little houseplant. Uh, doesn't have to be little, but it, it makes a wonderful gift. Maybe you're going to go to uh, Thanksgiving dinner 
Uh, maybe you're going to go uh, to some other holiday parties or Christmas or other things with family. That's a wonderful little gift, especially for a hostess that's had you over for, for a dinner. Uh, very nice. Very good idea. Uh, let's see. I want to talk about holiday plants, too. This is the season when we start to see things that are traditional holiday plants, like poinsettias. Do you know poinsettia is the, is the most sold plant in the United States? In other words, if you were to take all the species of plants, from roses to whatever, uh, and how many of those plants are sold each year, poinsettia wins. Uh, it just it's just because when it when it's this season it's kind of like almost everybody gets a poinsettia or two or three right and so that's why that's what sustains them but it is the number one plant sale uh, not in terms of number of plants uh, in the United States poinsettias are easy to care for but they don't want to get too dry again you'll drop older leaves and then the plant won't look so good uh, so what you do is you put it in the sink, you water it, let it drain well, and then put it back in its protective sleeve. If you just pour water into the plant in the sleeve, if you overdo it, then you've got this little pond of water in the bottom of that sleeve that can keep the, the plant too soggy wet, and it doesn't like that either. It likes a lot of light. Now, you can go for a pretty good period of time without it getting good light, but if you if you wanted to keep it a little longer, uh, make sure it moves out and gets a very very bright, not direct, but very bright light uh, during the daytime uh, as best you can. Try to avoid wide-ranging fluctuations in temperature. You know, putting it outside when it's 50 degrees and then bringing it in and putting it under a heat vent, for example, those kind of things uh, are also hard on poinsettias, but they can be grown. If you're really diligent and want to take some time to do it, you can grow a poinsettia through the year and you can cause it to have its beautiful red color again in the fall. I won't go into the how of that now, but, but it can be done, and I know some people that do it. Uh, other holiday plants are Thanksgiving cactus and Christmas cactus. Now these are, are very, very closely related plants. Basically they differ in terms of the number of hours of darkness that it takes for them to bloom. And we off, you often hear people refer to plants as short day plants. When the days get short, it initiates the blooming. Well, for practical purposes, that's fine to say it that way. But the fact is that it's the long nights that make them bloom. So what's the difference between long days and or short days and long nights because they go together? Well, the difference is if you have a plant that blooms in the fall, maybe it's a fall aster, maybe it is Copper Canyon Daisy or Mexican Marigold or um, let's see, Mountain Sage is a salvia shrub that, that does that. And if you in the middle of the night turn the lights on and then you turn them back off, what you just did is you took a long night and you made it into two short nights. And that plant has not had the length of night that it needs. That's why it is the night time. It's the darkness that initiates the bloom. That's true with poinsettias and that's true with uh, holiday cactus. Uh, holiday cactus is the same way. Uh, so I like holiday cactus as a plant because that is one that you can keep year after year after year and it just gets, keeps getting bigger and better. And it, it, the word cactus is in its name, but it's really not a cactus. Uh, these grow in areas where they get adequate moisture, almost a jungle-like kind of environment, uh, very moist environment. Uh, but they will do very well 
when they're adequately watered. They can take a drought for a while, but they don't let the word cactus make you think you need to not water it. You need to keep them moderately moist, again, not soggy wet. Now, the difference between Thanksgiving and Christmas cactus is that the Thanksgiving cactus doesn't take as long of nights to initiate bloom as a Christmas. Therefore, the Thanksgiving cactus starts blooming earlier in the year than a Christmas cactus would. That's the only difference. Uh, I have some that I just keep getting more and more because I'll, I'll end up breaking a little branch off one, sticking it in the ground. They root so easily. And I probably have two or three now that are just, you know, I put two or three cuttings together to make a plant to give somebody someday, uh, those kind of things. If you want to make yours bloom, and again, we're late enough in the season where they're blooming already, but if you keep one of those around, uh, it will bloom just when the days get short and the nights get long. Uh, eventually it will. But if you wanted to make it bloom a little earlier, uh, I'd use a box and I use the, your 8 to 5 work schedule as a way to make that happen. And here's what you do. Uh, when you come home at the end of the day, 5 o'clock, whenever, you put a box over the plant. Uh, if it's outside, maybe I keep mine a lot of times on a very bright porch outdoors or on a back patio area that's very shaded. I'll put mine there. But in other words, you turn the light off at 5 o'clock on the plant by covering it. And then in the morning when you go to work, you just take the box off. It's nice if it's sitting in between you and your car because then you see it and think about it every day. So by doing that, you know, it doesn't get dark at 5 o'clock uh, and it uh, it gets light before you head to work at 8 a.m. except for in the winter season when we have the time change. But anyway, that amount of hours will cut, will initiate bloom. You only have to do that for a few weeks and then you can take it off and it'll be fine. Now, once they're in the house, um, they can be blooming beautifully and they will continue to bloom for a long time if you don't allow them to be stressed. If they dry out, even though the plant can survive the drying out, it will abort the blooms. And so you always want to keep them adequately moist. You want to keep them, if you can keep the temperature rather moderated, that is helpful uh, where they are not subjected to, to really cold, cold or, uh, or ex extreme heat. Uh, and I find that trying to maintain kind of a consistent light level is a little bit helpful too. Uh, but anyway, those are some things. But primarily it's the watering and the drying out that causes them to abort their blooms. And what a disappointment. But don't give up on the plant. Keep it. It's an easy plant to grow. And uh, it's so much, it, it's so rewarding to be able to, you know, have a plant like that and you make it initiate bloom in the fall. And I mean, it's just kind of like you can play around with them, have two of them and one of them start covering it, you know, in early September and another one start covering it in early October, maybe uh, just to play around and get blooms at different times. There's actually a third one called Easter cactus and, and it typically it's for, it's a little different than the first two, uh, but it has um, blooms that occur in the spring. Uh, you, you will see those. That's why it gets its name, Easter cactus. Uh, one way to tell the difference is both Thanksgiving and Christmas, cac Christmas cactus. The little pads, the stems, the flattened stems, people would call them leaves, but they're stem tissues. Uh, they have little points on each of those little sections. You'll see the little finger sticking up with a point. Uh, Easter cactus has rounded edges. There's no points on those little individual stem pad sections probably more than you want to know about those plants. Other holiday plants that are great, uh, you know, we've got a lot of them. Cyclamen is beautiful 
and I mean it just bright colors. The little flowers look like falling stars. Just you have to look at one close and you'll see what I'm talking about. It's like the little point of the flower is down and the little petals are pointing up as if it were a meteor falling. Uh, they come in red and pink and, and uh, white and you know some variations on that. They, they're excellent as outdoor bedding plants in an area that is shady. Now, underneath a, a tree. Maybe you have a live oak tree and not a lot's growing out there. You can put them out there. Uh, they'll do okay as long as it doesn't get too cold. But they can also be brought indoors. They're gorgeous. Just that's one that I would I would uh, watch the watering again. They dry very easily and you don't want that to happen. Uh, and uh, maybe move them out for a little bit of light during the day as much as you can. Not direct sun, but uh, that would help keep them going. A final holiday plant uh, that I love is uh, rosemary. Rosemary that has been trimmed into a Christmas tree shape, you know, that conical shape. Uh, it's kind of cool. You can hang little ornaments on it uh, and uh, maybe uh, just keep it and plant it outdoors. It, it, I mean, you're, you know, you're paying a considerable amount for a little topiary rosemary because number one, they got to grow it and shear it for a while to get that shape. And so that's a that's a little bit of a production cost. But when you when you get done with that, plant it outside. It's an excellent plant. I would keep it in the container until spring and then plant it in its new location, a place that drains well. Uh, but uh, if you keep it indoors too long, it gets some spindly growth on it. So the more you can give that plant some outdoor light, the better it's going to do in terms of maintaining its shape and it, and good health for moving outdoors. All right, well, let's move, let's move on from, uh, from the house plants. I want to talk about some other things. I mentioned uh, holiday gifts. Uh, this is the season, right, for all kinds of gifts. Anytime you have a party, you want to take the hostess something nice. And as a gardener, we've got a lot of good options. I mean, there, there are the holiday plants that I just mentioned that would be wonderful gifts, including house plants as well. Uh, if you know someone who is a gardener, uh, garden tools are a good choice. Uh, there's a lot of great tools out there for gardening. Uh, probably one of the simplest uh, is a quality set of pruners. You know, you can buy cheap old pruners at certain stores uh, that just don't last. I probably have a five-gallon bucket if I took all the cheap pruners I've had in my life and brought them all together in one place, probably a five-gallon bucket of those things. They're just worthless, and they don't hold their edge. Uh, you're constantly trying to sharpen them. They're, they're not built in a strong way, so they don't, they don't cut as well, and they're just not worth having. But a quality set of pruners, there's a lot of brands out there. Corona is one example. Felco is another example of a quality brand. Uh, a good set of hand pruners is nice. Uh, if someone's a little older and maybe they have a little bit of a, kind of arthritic issues with their hands on, on a, low, a small scale, there are pruners that have rotating handles and other things that make them ergonomically easier, easier to use. And the quality pruners have replaceable blades. And literally, if you take care of them, they'll last you a lifetime. I mean, they really will. Uh, don't leave them out in the rain, of course, uh, but keep the blade sharp and then replace the blade as needed. And it is a purchase you make once for life. And uh, you spend a little more money up front, but you save money, I would say, in the long run. Plus, your pruning tasks are so much better, so much easier. I would think that's a good one. Another 
another gift that uh, has been on, it's just been on my radar for the last maybe five years or so, uh, is a kneeling bench, a folding kneeling bench. This is a metal folding bench that has a pad on top of the seat, hence the bench, and a pad underneath the seat, hence you flip it upside down and now you have a kneeling uh, bench. When you flip it upside down, the legs now are sticking up in the air and they are really handy to grab onto to get up and down. Now anyone north of 40 years old uh, knows that when you're gardening on a Saturday morning, let's say, uh, you wake up on Sunday and it's like you're in the prenatal position and you can't, you can't stand up uh, due to the getting up and down and up and down and, you know, the strain on your knees and your hips and your leg muscles and whatnot even lower back. Uh, boy, with these kneeling benches, I mean, it is so easy to get up and down. And uh, you can take them wherever you go, where if you want to sit down and do a little work on a plant, uh, you know, uh, if you want to kneel down and plant some seeds and things. A kneeling bench is a cool tool. And I, I would say anybody, again, north of 40, probably people less than 42, but you know what I'm talking about. Uh, a kneeling bench is a great, great gift. Uh, if you have a gardener that's really into it and wants to start seeds themselves, uh, there are gifts such as just the little the little uh, trays that come with a clear lid and with the little individual insets that you fill with potting mix and start your own seedlings. That is a very inexpensive beginning level. You can add to that a little heating mat that goes under the tray. So maybe you're starting them out in a garage. That's kind of cool. Well, if you heat that from the bottom, even in temperatures where it's like 50 degrees in there, uh, your seedlings are going to do well. In fact, they'll, they'll be stockier because of that cool temperature. But keeping that mix, the media, warm and a little rising heat coming up from that uh, is, is a really good thing. The next step would be to add a plant light. And there's a lot of kinds of plant lighting out there. And you can buy cheap ones that are worthless. You can buy very, very expensive ones that are cost prohibitive. And then there's some in between. But a good lighting fixture goes a long way to growing stocky seedlings. If without artificial lighting, it's almost impossible because you can stick them right next to a window. And I've, I've tried every trick, including having a like three panel foil wall behind them to reflect the outside light back to the back sides of the plants because they're going to lean toward the light. Uh, and all that helps a little. But uh, it, to get a good stocky seedling, which is important, you need to uh, have good light brushing over the seedlings daily with your hand or a pencil or something to kind of move the stems around. That also helps. But anyway, that that is a nice gift. Uh, so, so anything that goes into the whole package of seed starting would be a great gift. Um, how about a subscription to a gardening magazine? We have one magazine here in Texas for gardening, and that's Texas Gardener Magazine. Uh, you've probably heard me have uh, Jay White uh, from Texas Gardener on the show before to talk about the magazine. It's written by Texas gardeners for Texas gardeners. Everybody in there that writes for the magazine is someone that knows a lot about gardening. And there's a lot of great, great articles by excellent, knowledgeable authors in there. Uh, I highly recommend it. And a subscription to that, you can do the print version subscription. You can do also an online version if people like to, to have the simplicity of sitting down in front of their computer to flip through a magazine. Uh, and that you can do that as well. That also allows you to be able to 
capture images and maybe save uh, some articles in that way also. Uh, but that's a great, great magazine and a, and a great subscription. There are other good magazines out there. Uh, or maybe a book, a gardening book. There's some excellent gardening books. I uh, hear locally in the Bryan College Stationery, Doug Welch wrote a uh, Texas gardening book that kind of takes you through the year and what to take care of, uh, how to do things and stuff in the, in, the, in the gardening world. It's one of my favorite ones that is in that format. And again, it's written for Texas and written here. Uh, I wrote one on Texas month-by-month -month gardening, a much smaller book, uh, but it covers pretty much the whole state uh, and tells you what to do in different months and things. So maybe you have a friend in another area and, and that would be a good choice for them. But either way, uh, a gardening magazine, gardening book uh, can be great uh, for a gardener. Uh, finally, I'm going to throw one more gift idea in there and that would be a garden bed. Now, a lot of people get out in their yard and they you know, rototill or spade up the soil and make a garden. And that's great. That's that's the old-fashioned way. That's what everybody did in the day. Now, our lot sizes are smaller. The spots of sun can be more limited, especially in neighborhoods as they get older. Uh, and we're seeing more and more people want a garden and a raised box. It's nice because you can just set it on the ground fill it with a good mix and you are gardening instantly. You're not going through, you know, banging the soil with a rototiller and mixing in compost and trying to get a raised bed so it drains well and all that. I think the easiest thing for people that just want to get into gardening and, you know, not become mini farmers uh, would just be to have a box that you grow in. There's one kind of, of bed box that's actually uh, from Houston area. The company's from Houston. It's called Vego, V-E-G-O, Vego Garden Beds. Those are slick. They are a metal that has been uh, treated to, or, uh, to uh, prevent corrosion and rust. In fact, the Texas A&M, I think it's the material science lab, actually tested that material for them. And then it's painted with a USDA-approved paint that comes in muted colors like tan and light green and maybe hunter green and so on. Uh, so it's very attractive. They're modular. You put them together like, you know, just little um, galvanized screws, not galvanized, uh, stainless steel screws that hold them together. So you buy this, these panels, and you can make a long skinny bed, a, a square bed. You can make an L-shaped or C-shaped bed. Maybe you have a big patio, a concrete patio or something, and you would like a bed that goes down one edge of it and makes the corner and goes down the other edge. You can do that. You can put it together however you want, and then you just buy a quality mix to put in it. And they're not, in, they're not inexpensive. They cost something, but they last forever. And they'll out outlast even a treated wood bed by far. And so uh, for those of you who are organic gardeners, don't want to use treated wood, well, there you go, Vego Garden Bed. Uh, there's other brands on the market. Uh, I'm partial to Vego uh, myself, uh, and it is here. It's a Texas company. It's one of the, I believe it's the first one in America to have the metal beds, the metal modular beds like that. There's a lot of others on the market, but I won't go into all the ups and downs of, of every brand, uh, but I just find that's a good one available here locally. Uh, so those are some gifts, some holiday gifts that you might want to be thinking about uh, for gardeners on your list. Uh, let's talk a little bit about leaf season. We are entering the season when here comes all the leaves off the trees. And your neighbors are so kind, they, they actually rake them up and put them in a bag at the curb for you to come by and pick up for your garden. And that, isn't, that is service with a smile. 
uh, if you can beat the trash trucks to them. Uh, leaves are excellent for mulching. If you mow over them with a lawn mower, it chops them up a little bit and makes them stay in place better, and even they're even a better mulch that way. Uh, and uh, when I have them in the yard, I'll just mow in a circle pattern, like a round and around mowing from the outside toward the inside. Think of a spiral going inside. Uh, and that blows all the leaves toward the center out the discharge chute of the mower. Uh, and then you can rake them up. I'll typically just lay a tarp down and rake the leaves up on the tarp because I hate to stoop and pick them up and try to shove them in a bag and all that stuff. Just rake them up onto a tarp and then grab the tarp and drag it wherever you want to go. I mean, you can take a lot of leaves from the front yard to the back flower beds or vegetable garden or anything else. And leaves are good mulch. I mean, think of the forest. The whole design of the forest is leaves drop on the ground. All the nutrients that the plant used to make those leaves now begin to decompose and release to the soil. They protect the soil as a mulch. And as they decompose, they do release those nutrients. So now you have nature's own slow-release fertilizer laying on your lawn. What are you going to do with it? You're going to bag it up, have somebody haul it away, or are you going to take those nutrients and use them? And I'm going to tell you, if you start using leaves, and especially if you grind them up a little bit, uh, you can get, instead of what, what may have been three bags of leaves, well ground up, maybe one bag of leaves. And uh, so now you have a really quality concentrated product. I'll leave the bags sitting in an area out of sunlight for a while uh, until I need them, because you're going to need mulching in your gardens all through the year, especially when summer gets here. Well, it, there's not leaves falling in the summer, so you stockpile them. Uh, that way. But again, you need to grind them up because you don't have room for a you know, pile of leaves the size of a Greyhound bus. Uh, but when you grind them up, you sure can do that. And uh, I would recommend using those. Again, think about it. Most of the nutrients, when we think of plant nutrients like nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, magnesium, those kinds of things, most of the nutrients a tree takes up are in its leaves and its tender twig growth. The old woody parts of the plant uh, have a lot of carbon, of course, but but they don't they don't have as much of all those nutrients. So here is the fertilizer you put on the ground, whether you grew grass clippings or tree leaves. What are you going to do with it? If you bag it and have somebody haul it away, that's called renting fertilizer, because it's gone. If you recycle it into your lawn by using the don't bag it system or into your into your gardens by using uh, uh, the mulching of leaves like I was describing uh, that just makes sense so I hope that you will consider that and uh, whether you maybe you want to make a compost pile uh, you know leaves are perfect for that just add a little bit of nitrogen fertilizer uh, to and keep it moist and you'll be in business uh, with the composting uh, in the vegetable garden it's time to plant all of the cool season vegetables still. Uh, we begin doing that in September, but you still can do that here. Uh, that would include leafy greens like lettuce and spinach and arugula, uh, and it would include the coal crops like kale, another leafy green, cabbage, cauliflower, kohlrabi, uh, broccoli, Brussels sprouts. Mm, I'm probably forgetting one. Oh, that's most of them there, at least. Uh, does it, yeah, I said cauliflower. Uh, those blue leaf cruciferous vegetables, super, super high in nutrition. And you can grow them here. They are very cold hardy. Now, if we have a bitter cold, you will get 
leaf burn and you can get damage to especially like the heads of broccoli. Uh, the plants are hardy, but, but those heads will frost burn or freeze burn. But you just throw a cover over them and, and it'll get you through. And our winters are so mild here, uh, there's no reason why we can't grow a lot of good healthy food. You can still plant carrots out in the garden. It's getting a little late, but you can do it get those going. Uh, so there's things to be doing in the vegetable garden. And again, if you've done the leaf thing that I talked about, uh, if you've got some bare areas and beds, you can just mix some leaves in and let them decompose underground. And by the time spring gardening comes around, that soil will be in even better shape. Uh, and I always mulch bare areas of soil. Uh, don't let it just sit bare over the winter. Throw a thick blanket of leaves over it and let them begin to decompose. And when it's time for spring planting, you just pull them back with a rake or your fingers and plant right through there. And it sure works well. So lots to do. If you've got uh, cool season vegetables, you want to keep them fertilized. Uh, in the cool season, uh, microbial decomposition slows down as the soil gets a little cooler. And uh, so we sometimes beef up the fertilizing just a little bit uh, and things that uh, that it we're growing for food, it just helps to keep them vigorous and healthy. It's not will they survive, it's will they grow and produce like you want them to. And uh, so light applications of fertilizer over time work. Now the synthetic products, when they get wet, they dissolve and the nutrients are immediately available to the plant. Organics have to microbially decompose, so that process of release is going to slow down uh, considerably in cold soil in the wintertime. So you may have to use a little extra of an organic fertilizer and just realize that you're going to be getting release from it later on, uh, whereas a, an immediately available synthetic will release its nutrients and things like nitrogen may volatilize or wash away or be taken up by plants and microbes and whatnot. And so they're not necessarily going to be there uh, over time, uh, like uh, to the length of time, like maybe um, an organic would. Uh, the same is true for synthetic um, slow-release fertilizers, things like the Osmocote and other brands. Uh, they are going to release, and temperature has some effect on most of those, and so that, that, will, that release will slow down too uh, in the wintertime. Uh, winter is coming, and as it comes, we have a lot of uh, concerns about hard freezes and even frosts, and what do we do about it? Uh, for for gardens, I would suggest that on things that you're not worried about the plant being killed, and that would be perennials, including ornamental grasses, but other perennials like salvias, for example, daylilies and whatnot, you can just let the frost hit or the freeze hit. And when the top has been killed back, uh, if you want to leave it there, you can leave it until late winter and then prune it back before new spring growth comes out of the ground. Uh, or if you don't like the look of that killed back top growth, then just cut it off about a few inches above the ground. I would suggest mulching that area well. Uh, a little mulch over the surface will help protect the crown or the base of the plant. That's where the new growth will emerge from. That's where the buds are that send the new shoots up. And so if we have a really, really cold weather, uh, you remember in February of 2021, what was it, about seven degrees here in Bryan College Station, uh, and we were fortunate because we had snow cover. And that snow cover, even things that are cold tender, it protected that crown. And the top was all burned back. But I was shocked to see on something like Mexican heather, 
uh, growth resume the next spring from the base of those plants. Uh, but leaves can accomplish a similar thing. They can create that thick mulch cover that holds the soil's warmth. And remember, warmth, 40 degrees is warm when you're worried about freezing. Okay, if you keep something 40 degrees, that's warm. So the soil has like 50 degrees, 55 degrees of warmth, depending on how deep you go in the wintertime. And so that's a great uh, source of, I'll call it heat, to protect the crown of the plant when you've put mulch over the top to hold that heat in so it doesn't just radiate up into the sky. Uh, another thing would be to cover plants. When you cover a plant, you need to do it right. And that means don't make landscape lollipops. I see this sometimes. Someone has a, a citrus tree, for example, and they put a cover over the top and bring it around to the trunk and wrap it there, and it literally looks like a lollipop out in the, in the, in the uh, yard. Well, that does almost no good. Number one, the trunk is now still exposed, and so if you kill that, you, it didn't matter that you protected the top. Uh, but your plants don't make heat in an appreciable way. Now, if I were to wrap myself in a blanket standing outside on a cold night, well, it, I would be kept warmer because my body is producing heat and the blanket is holding it in. But plants don't do that. So with plants, we want the cover to go over the plant and all the way to the ground. Uh, just think of it as if you had an umbrella over the plant and where the rain would fall off the edges of the umbrella, that's where the cover drops down to the ground and then you seal that cover so the wind doesn't blow it off or uh, raise up and allow cold air to blow up underneath it. You can use bricks or logs or soil or whatever you have on hand to hold that cover to the ground and now you've trapped dead air space. And the soil warmth rising up makes a huge difference on moderately um, cold nights, meaning if it's going to be 30 degrees or 28 degrees, you know, you're probably okay with just that cover alone and some soil warmth rising up. Now when we get those freezes where the wind blows, that super cools, it cools things fast. And so the cover is very important, but again, you got to secure it for that to work. When it gets cold enough, you need to add heat underneath the cover. And I find that the best way to do that is to buy one of those clamp-on lights, you know, the aluminum shield that you put the light bulb in. Uh, I would probably use uh, like a floodlight and uh, maybe 150 watt. That would be enough to produce a considerable amount of warmth under there. And again, remember, we're not trying to make it 78 degrees. We're trying to not go below 32. So it doesn't take a lot of heat in most cases to do that. But it's a function of how much air space are you trying to warm up you know, a big citrus tree versus a little tomato plant, well, forget tomatoes and freeze, a uh, broccoli plant or something, uh, then, and, and how cold is it going to get? And uh, you may need to use even a heat lamp, but not often. And when you do, do not shine the heat lamp on the tissues of the plant, the trunk or the leaves or branches or anything. That's a radiant heat that comes out from those. I mean, you can stand way back from one and feel the, the warmth on your hand. Uh, and, and so we want to shine it downward and warm the soil there, and the heat will rise up that comes off that lamp and that radiates up off the soil. Be very careful. The other thing to be careful with is electrical connections. You got a bunch of dead dry grass there and you get a spark from electrical connection or you get a rainy night, which often occurs when cold fronts come in. Uh, and now those 
plugs and connections are, are, are being rained on, not good. So take extra caution to prevent that or you'll find yourself with a little uh, a tree that uh, is ablaze from the grass fire you started underneath it. And we've, we've seen pictures of that. By the way, if you want a great publication on it, uh, Dr. Mani Nesbitt in the Horticulture Department, Department and I wrote one called Protecting Landscapes and Horticultural Crops from Frosts and Freezes. Now, I'll make it simple. Go to agrilifelearn.tamu.edu. Agrilifelearn, one word, .tamu.edu. That's the bookstore for Texas A&M AgriLife. Go to the search bar and just type in Protecting Plants. And that publication, it's nine pages, full-color pictures and drawings, uh, and it covers everything you need to know, no matter what you're trying to predict. And it addresses all the other issues I'm not even mentioning today, like, well, should I water my plants for, for a freeze or not? Should I spray my plants with water so they get that ice? I hear ice insulates. Uh, the fast answer to that is don't do it, but it explains why it can work, why, like, citrus growers might use it, but what has to be done in order for it to work. Otherwise, it does the exact opposite. I'm not going to take time to go into the why of that now, but the publication does. Mm -hmm. So uh, check out that publication. It's free, and you can share it with your friends. You know, it's, it's, it's written here by us in Texas in AgriLife, but if you got a friend in Kansas or Louisiana or North Carolina, I mean, it, it, the principles are the same. Uh, and it would be very helpful for them uh, to be aware of as well. So that's cold protection. Uh, we see all kinds of things being done out in the landscape to protect plants, but there's a lot we can do. One uh, word for the wise, though, is don't wait until the night it's going to freeze and it's already dark and you're running off to a store to try to buy plastic sheeting and PVC to make hoops to go over the plant to hold the sheeting up and heat lamps and fixtures. They're going to be sold out uh, and uh, that, uh, yeah. That's not a good idea. So if you got something that you want to protect, maybe it's a, a special plant like a, a citrus tree, uh, well, let's go ahead and get ready for it because you know you're going to need it every year. Uh, also, by the way, when you grow plants in containers, even in a large container, uh, it's easy to move them into a garage. You just get a dolly and slide the lip underneath the pot and put a strap from one side of the dolly around the pot tied to the other side of the dolly so the plant doesn't fall off. And it's just almost effortless to just lean that thing back and roll it right where you need it to go. Uh, trying to pick up a pot, a big pot full of soil, oh my gosh. Uh, you'll put your chiropractor's kids through college and you don't want to get into that. So do it the easy way. It makes it, makes it real simple. Uh, what are we going to talk about now? I'm going to switch over now, and I want to talk a little bit. Uh, I talked about uh, caring for perennials and, you know, for, for the cold weather that comes, but this is also a time to plant. It still is a great time to plant. Again, our winters are not that bitter cold. So do you want to plant perennial herbs? Do you want to plant perennial flowers like salvias and others? Do you want to plant perennial grasses, beautiful grasses that we can grow that can be planted as perennials? Uh, do you want to plant woody shrubs and trees and woody vines? The most important time to plant those is in the fall. And the reason is that you can plant them 12 months out of the year. It, when it's hot, it is very touch and go to try to get a new transplant in the ground and off to success without either getting too dry or too wet. It just is. 
but in fall you're going to have let's say you planted uh, you know in November and you've got December and January and February and March and April before it really begins to get hot and during all that time again because our soils aren't that cold roots can begin to grow and establish so when the demands come you don't have a little cylinder of roots that just came out of the pot that are now facing 100 degrees and no rain for days on end you've got a plant that actually has a root system that's going pretty well that can be watered and much easily uh, kept going it's a very resilient plant compared to one that you wait until the end of spring to plant so fall planting very important very very important uh, in the fall time by the way, you can normally, you know, when we plant fruit trees, uh, we used to always buy bare root fruit trees and put those in the ground. And that was done in January, maybe early February, uh, in order to get them started for the spring. Bare root plants are less expensive than container grown plants. Uh, and they can be grown successfully if you get them in the ground. Now, most things you see at local garden centers are going to be a container grown plant. And you can plant a container fruit tree anytime you want, but fall's a good time for those as well. Remember when you take a, a woody plant, whether it's a fruit tree or an ornamental shrub or tree or vine, out of the pot, look at the outside of the cylinder, and you're going to see probably roots going in a circle around that container. You want to cut them. You want to use, uh, I use a box cutter knife, a little one-inch blade, and, and vertically slice from the top of the cylinder to the bottom in about three places around the cylinder. You can also use your hand pruners. Uh, maybe you got a bigger root that's not easy to cut like with the box cutter blade. Well, just prune them. Everyone you cut, trust me on this, within a couple of weeks, it is going to be forming new, fresh, white roots going outward into the soil to establish that plant. Real healthy, creamy white roots uh, that are just helping that thing get established. If you don't do that, the plant is going to be set back a little bit. And in some cases, when you have a root uh, that's, let's say the container is a smaller diameter, like a one-gallon pot, for to, to use an example, uh, well, that trunk's going to get bigger year after year, and the root's going to get bigger year after year. And at some point, the two are going to come together, and the root literally will have encircled and be squeezing and strangling that trunk as it tries to expand. And that is a recipe for disaster. So cut the roots when you plant them. It's really easy to do. On your fruit trees, don't prune them now. Uh, wait until the end of winter to do the pruning. Right before new growth begins is an ideal time to prune fruit trees and other ornamental trees in your landscape, whether it's shade trees or flowering trees. And the reason is the fastest time of wound healing on a tree occurs in the spring. Uh, we get our fastest wound healing of the year during the spring season. Then it tapers off in summer, and then in fall, it speeds up a little bit, and we get a little bit of decent healing in the fall, too, but not as good as in the spring. So by planting right before that, uh, that fresh wound you just made, it's, it's going to callus quickly and begin to close over uh, more rapidly than if you d did the pruning at a different time. Now, we can prune any month of the year if we have to. But most pruning should be done in the winter season on these trees and shrubs and fruit trees. Now, the exception to winter pruning is anything that blooms only in the spring, except fruit trees uh, and vi fruit trees, vines, and bushes. Uh, 
if it is a ladybank's rose or a spirea called bridal's wreath uh, or a flowering quince, for example, those are all examples of things that set their bloom buds in the fall and they bloom in the spring. And if you prune them in the winter, you're cutting away the bloom buds. You don't get to enjoy them. So let them bloom and then prune them on those spring-only bloomers. Again, we have some roses like ladybanks that bloom only in the spring. And then we have roses that bloom on and on through the year in waves. And th those you can prune in the winter. That's what we do prune in the end of winter time. Uh, but anyway, that's just something to keep in mind uh, on those. The reason we don't worry about it with fruit trees is our number one goal on fruit trees is building a structure that can hold fruit. And fruit trees put on more blooms, sometimes 10 times more blooms, then they need to have fruit. In other words, if they, if they if every bloom set and you didn't do any pruning, that would be an overloaded tree. The fruit would be small, uh, probably breaking branches on the tree. Uh, and so we prune them. And then sometimes we do additional thinning even after pruning to control that crop size. Because I know it's hard to thin fruit, but um, you have larger, tastier fruit instead of just a bunch of small fruit that basically is a pit covered by skin. Uh, and so go ahead and do, do, and do the pruning and we'll, we'll talk uh, thinning in the springtime. Uh, in the lawns, uh, something to remember, our lawns are not you know, actively growing in the cool season because our grasses are southern turf species like Bermuda and Zoysia and St. Augustine. Those are the three big ones that we have in our lawns here. So uh, you don't need to fertilize your lawn in the winter time. The fall was an important time to fertilize earlier on, uh, but once we head into the late fall and early winter, no, no more fertilizing on the lawn. Uh, if you didn't put down a pre-emergent weed control product to prevent weed seeds, you may see some little lawn weed seedlings, uh, broadleaf weeds like henbit and chickweed and clover. Uh, and uh, carpet weed and, and uh, uh, cleavers uh, is another one. Bed straw is another name for it. Uh, those are all cool season weeds, and they sprout in the fall, as do our blue bonnets, by the way. And they go through winter as small plants, as do our blue bonnets. And then in spring, they grow rapidly, bloom and set seed, as do our blue bonnets. They're on the same schedule as blue bonnets. So when you have these little plants there in the lawn, a post-emergent product will work quite well if they're actively growing. And that would be d something you would want to probably time for later in the winter and very early spring to go ahead and do that. Once the weather heats up, some of those products are hard on your St. Augustine especially. Uh, but try to get them before they begin to really grow because once these weeds become reproductive, it's too late. Too late to be able to get out there and spray them and control them. Uh, so you're going to catch them when they're a little uh, smaller. Also on lawns, make sure that you rake up the fallen leaves. You want to make sure that your your uh, leaves are uh, not sitting over the lawn grass for extended periods of time. And the reason is they shade the lawn. And St. Augustine does not go dormant like your peach tree would go dormant or like a, uh, a red oak tree in your lawn would go dormant. Uh, those tr inner true dormancy. Our, our grass just slows down. And it essentially comes to a halt because the temperatures and, and day length and other things are, are basically putting it on hold. Uh, and so once, 
once the weather warms up and, and, and everything, it begins to grow again. But they're just sitting there. But during that time they're sitting there, if there's a little green leaves in, in the winter, it's not unusual to have 75, 78 degree days at times. Well, that grass can be gathering some sunlight, making some carbohydrates in a small amount that can be helpful. And to shade it uh, is to take it even further downhill. And we certainly don't need uh, to be able to do that. If you got any bulbs left over or you'd like to plant bulbs, flowering bulbs, go ahead and get them done. We aimed to get that done back in October. But, uh, you know, if you got them on hand, get them in the ground. Don't let them sit around. They're not going to improve over time. Uh, just get those in the ground and uh, see what they do. You hopefully will get a pretty good season out of it. By the way, when you're purchasing bulbs, uh, you want to purchase varieties uh, that last, that come back year after year. Those uh, rebloom for us. Uh, they naturalize, is how we say it. Uh, tulip, for example, beautiful bulbs, but they're one-shot wonders. You plant them, before you know it, they bloom for a short time here because of our conditions, uh, and then they're gone. Uh, but you get something like certain daffodils or uh, summer snowflakes or fall um, um, schoolhouse lilies or um, rain lilies during the summer. All of those come back year after year after year if you get the right varieties, and they give you blooming dividends uh, for the one time you purchased them. Finally, if you've got any shrubs that need pruning at this point in the season, I would hold off. Maybe it's a hedge around your house. Uh, pruning is a stimulating process, and you don't want an evergreen hedge to send out tender succulent growth and then a hard freeze hit. So let's wait until spring to resume shearing of those shrubs. Well, that's a lot of things to be thinking about and doing during the holiday season. Uh, you know, this, these shows will be uh, recorded, and you can find them either by podcast, look for Garden Success, or you can go to the KAMU-FM website where you can listen to past shows. Maybe you got a friend or neighbor that needs to hear some of the things you've heard today. Well, tell them about it. And mean, in the meantime, we'll look forward to talking to you again next week. You've been listening to Garden Success with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist Skip Richter. Join us again next week as Skip discusses your questions about gardening and landscaping in the Brazos Valley.